0: You're listening to a Monday Breakfast podcast on 3CR, 855 AM. Thanks for tuning in.
1: I am Mahsa Vahdat. Hi, I'm Marjan. And you're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on your radio dial. Also on digital radio and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Please subscribe.
2: 3CR would like to acknowledge that we broadcast on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and Boon Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge the continued resilience of First Nations peoples in the face of ongoing colonisation and settlement. We acknowledge sovereignty was never ceded and a treaty was never signed. This is 3CR
1: Breakfast. Oh, yeah. Alternative News, Analysis and Current Affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to late 30am.
2: Good morning.
0: Good morning, Dean. Good and morning. morning, Alice. Good morning. And I'm Judith and uh, welcome to Monday Breakfast.
2: On this Thursday... The uh, 13th 13th of, 13th of May, May. Oh, yeah. Goes quick doesn't it
0: It does go quick Ooh. And uh, I think I'd like to start this morning Before we talk about what's going to be on the show By acknowledging the, the news over the weekend We're all feeling I think um, Yeah quite shocked and um, concerned About the attack on by police here in Fitzroy On a man they mistakenly identified as a suspect Um, The ABC, um, well, as a suspect in a home invasion and carjacking case, the ABC reported that the the police did not identify themselves as the police and uh, people thought it might have been an anti-gay attack and feared for their lives and certainly the police used excessive force. Uh, The man was attacked. Nick Dimopoulos was badly injured and may lose the use of his left arm. So very sad news for a Monday morning, but, uh, you know, because we're broadcasting here in Fitzroy from Smith Street and I know it's so in, close it's so close but it's also very much you know in, in our minds mm. in our hearts and it raises so many questions the story of course will continue to unfold as we find out more but uh, there's questions about um, you know the, uh, the use of force by police why they thought the suspect might be in a, a house next to a, a gay bookshop for example yeah. I mean, would you be looking for an armed robber in that area. So these are questions. Um, and
3: how and the the force actually turned up as well with the the guns and yep. full-blown attack. Like, yep. I don't, I just, I want to understand why exactly this happened. Mm. Yes. Mm.
2: I, I think mean, that, that it, whole yeah. idea that uh, it had something to do with gangs and, you know, uh, even if the person that they were after... Was part of a gang. It seems like it's pretty excessive force to break his arm, let alone Nick's arm. Yeah, you know?
0: absolutely. How you know we live in a democratic society, or so mm. we think. A person is innocent till proven guilty. There's no justification in my mind for that kind of force. And of course, this has become a highly visible matter. But um, there are other um, incidents over the last couple of years. I think that's been pointed, the ages pointed to in their coverage this morning. And it just uh, raises concerns about the culture within the police and, um, you know, the kind of training police receive, the level of, of equipment that's been, you know, is out there. Yeah. So a mm-hmm. lot of questions. Yeah.
2: And, and, and we, we wish Nick well, because I know the in the Facebook statement, uh, the hares and hyenas owners, Roland Thompson and Crusader Hills, We're saying that uh, Nick is now in hospital with a likelihood of losing the use of his left arm, which is broken in several places from the shoulder, Um, and the surgeon described the injury as a 12 on a scale of 1 to 10, which is horrendous.
0: And, and of course, the people who own the bookshop as well, whose Mm. home was invaded, they must also be terribly traumatised from from that happening and seeing, um, seeing those events. And I guess the last thing is, you know, when we feel like uh, we've made a lot of progress around attitudes towards gay people, towards Mm. diversity. These kinds of incidents kind of take us back years. You know, I mean, they make us... Yeah, there's a lot of... It raises questions. I don't want to draw conclusions at this stage, but it, it shows that people... Still live in a in kind of fear because the first thought they had was that it was um, an anti-gay invasion because police didn't identify themselves, they didn't know who it was and I think one of the people was actually calling the police for help. Anyway I don't want to go, I mean I don't want to um, dwell further other than as Jean said mm. to send our condolences, our care our concern and um, yeah and hope that um, we don't see more of this kind of thing and that the, the investigation will Lead to some changes. Yeah. So
2: that, I guess this, um, you know, this type of abuse doesn't become normalized as well. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, just quickly, I forgot to touch on the weather. Partly cloudy. Maximum of eighteen. Uh, with winds north-northwesterly, to north-westerly, fifteen to twenty-five k's an hour. So it's going to be an okay day today. Um,
0: but on the show today, we've got. Well, it's, a, it's another really busy show this morning, actually. Um, now
2: that I'm here this Monday, no, yeah.
0: apologies for <laughs> last week. Well, welcome back, <laughs> Dean. It's good to have you here in the studio. So later, after eight, we'll be hearing from Adrian Buragaba. You may remember last week we had that interview with Kristen, Kristen Lyons about what's happening with the Dani and the, land, the, the dodgy land use agreement. So we're going to hear from Adrian Buragaba himself, an artist and performer from the Wangan and Jagalingu people uh, of the central Queensland who are fighting the Adani mine. And we're also going to hear from Peter Owen, and he's the South Australia Director of the Wilderness Society, and he's going to give us an update on the campaign to prevent drilling for gas and oil in the Great Australian Bight. He spoke to us from Norway.
4: What we need is a strong commitment from both the Labor and the Liberal Party that they are listening to the communities across southern Australia and they're willing to step up and protect the Great Australian Bight.
0: Yeah, and that was Peter Owen. I spoke to him that last um, Friday. And Alice, you've been out and about.
3: Yeah, so on Thursday, I went to the uh, Yawa opening night, and it's um, it's with the Torch um, Exhibition Project, and it's that's partnership with Yerum Boy Festival this year. Um, so the exhibition is for aboriginal men and women in victoria's criminal justice system and it explores um just their culture and the idea is that you go along you support these people and you just you just learn a lot more about what what the project is doing and why they're about so i spoke to susanna day who is the acting ceo i spoke to ash thomas who's one of the artists that um is a part of the exhibition and also sean miller and aaron duggan who are both huge success stories from the project oh yeah. exciting! Mm. so we'll oh, listen to some great. of that later and um yeah it was and the uh, the exhibition goes on until the 30th of May as well, so everybody can go. is at the City Library.
2: And that was uh, Y-A-W-A, Yawa? Yeah,
3: Y-A-W-A.
2: Which, which um, means journey it in Bunurang language. And oh, uh, oh. interestingly, you know, we've just been talking about, I guess, the, 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 this type of violence and that whole colonialism and the way the system has been used to such brutal effect for Indigenous people. It's, you know, it ties in all together.
0: Yes. Yeah, it does. It does. And... Uh, on a kind of unusual topic, I think, for a a breakfast show, but one that I think probably we need to talk about a bit more in our society. We're going to hear from uh, Annie Boletho. And uh, she's um, um, an end-of-life companion. That's what her work, and that's what her book's about. And it's about death and
5: dying and how you approach that. We hurtle along through our lives. We're so busy. When someone dies, we just have to pause.
0: And that's Annie Belitho, and we'll be hearing her around quarter to eight, I think.
1: Come inside into my kitchen Your body shaking with all the thinking that you do. There's a mountain of pain on your shoulder. Too much to bear.
0: Titters with Inside My Kitchen and I have that from the album Speaking Out which was produced by the ABC and it's a wonderful collection of Indigenous artists uh, the f- full title is Celebrating 20 Years On Air, The Best of Indigenous Music, 1990 to 2010 and of course Titters and Archie wrote, performed together recently because the Titus had stopped performing around 2010 and uh, yeah to great review so yeah beautiful beautiful song now Coming up next, Dan, just to let Aboriginal listeners know, the story does refer to a person who has passed away. You may remember, if you're a regular listener to Monday Breakfast, that a few weeks ago we spoke to Susan Rennie, mayor of Darabin, about the launch of a mural in Preston, celebrating the work of local activists Dave Sweeney and Dimity Hawkins. They're both co-founders of ICANN, the international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons. And we did celebrate a lot here at 3CR when they won the Nobel Prize back in 2017. It was very exciting. So the, the mural is celebrating community activism. Um, Dave Sweeney and Dimity both live in Preston. And it's also celebrating the work of, um, of Yami Lester. Was a young Jajara elder, an anti-nuclear activist, and who was blinded during the atomic testing at Maralinga. And his portrait features on the mur- mural. It's a beautiful portrait. It's very moving. So if you're up in Preston, just pop down to the library and have a look. So I went along to the launch, and uh, here's Dave Sweeney speaking about the mural and also the, how ICANN started.
6: ICANN had very, very modest beginnings. It was a minivan in Carlton in 2007, and now it is a serious vehicle for social change globally in 2019. It's been a great ride. There's been stories, struggles, solidarity. There's now over 500 ICANN affiliates or groups. Along the way, we've picked up an international treaty and a Nobel Peace Prize. Mm
1: -hmm.
6: And it is a really incredible example of how ordinary folks, and I say that consciously and with respect, how ordinary folks with commitment with creativity, with collective effort, can do extraordinary things. And so I'd really like to acknowledge and thank all the crew who have been in ICANN staff and ICANN board, past and present, because they've been and remain extraordinary. I'd also like to acknowledge one who should be here, but isn't here tonight, which is Bill Williams, who was one of the co-founders and a dear friend, and he went too early, but he's um, absolutely never forgotten. When you think of Dear Ones, as I was thinking about with this speech, I normally just get up and speak, but this one I wanted to name some people who have done some things and and say. And I was thinking of Dear Ones and I'd like to give a shout out to my family, my blood family, many of whom are here, thank the parole board.
1: I'd (laughs) like
6: to give a shout out to my family of choice and the community and the friends that have nurtured and supported my efforts and work. And above all, I want to give The biggest shout-out to Kathleen McCann and to Mungo Sweeney. I'm also really pleased... Thank you. I'm also really pleased that this mural is at this place because this library is a very special place to me, but to our community. It's across the road from Preston High, the new Preston High, and it's great that that's open. It's great that council are looking after this for a minimum of 10 years. That's (coughs) generations, or, well, years, of... Kids going to school, coming here, and then asking, who's that fellow, what's that story? And starting that seed and telling and taking that story to a new generation. And when you look at the school strikes over climate change, that's a, that's a really powerful expression of power, agency and concern. And I hope that some of that can translate too to the other existential, existential threat, which is nuclear weapons. And it will. All these things are connected. This library also features in my personal Nobel story. I was um, lucky enough to get an invite to go to Oslo. And I thought, no, I won't do that. There's lots of things to do at home and there's this and that. And then Mungo, my son, very wisely said, how many Nobels are you going to win then? And I thought, well, you know, it's not going to be mathematics and I haven't got a publisher. So I went to Oslo at pretty short notice and I came in here two days before I left to pick up the rough guide to Norway, which I returned in time. time. And in the Rough Guide to Norway, I'm sitting C26D on the way over, and there's a page and it was blue, and the rest of them were white, and the blue page was titled, The World's Most Prestigious Prize, and I went, oh. And it was quite remarkable, and it really hit me. This is a really big thing. And it also is great that it's here because this is the great home for civic action. And it builds the sense of, as the Mayor said, the work that's being done on a community level by so many people over a long time for a more peaceful world. We're fortunate to live in a city that values respect, that talks about peace that talks about equality, that welcomes refugees, that says end to domestic violence, that takes a stand against really negative things. And that's a really powerful thing. And congratulations to the council for doing that. And congratulations for us, for being the community that expects and demands that our local representatives do that. I'm also honored, I won't go on for too long, but I'm also honored that this story Champions is championed by Yami Lester, that it's here and it's honoured. It's been said of Yami that he lost his sight, but never his vision. Um, two years ago, I had the sad privilege, it was a great privilege, to represent Yami's many friends in the environment and nuclear-free and anti-nuclear movement to speak at his funeral. Now, we all pass, that is the way of the world, but it's what we do here that matters, that counts. And he counted, and this uh, Mural is one more thing that he will continue to count and that story will continue to grow and that's important and saying that it is a profound honour to have Yami's family here today, very special and they've journeyed long and hard to get here and it's great that they are here a special part of ICAN's DNA and a part of the role that ICANN played in Australia was to amplify and reflect the Indigenous story of Radioactive resistance and cultural resilience. Aunty Sue Coleman-Hasseldine, a Kukutamula woman from Tajuna, Rose and Karina Lester, many others, did hard yards, travelled long miles here and overseas telling the story as ICANN was building the momentum to get a treaty. And they, when they told the story, they changed the story. And they changed the story from one of men and geopolitics and real politic to one of people and humanity and lived experience and existence and possibility.
0: And uh, that was Dave Sweeney uh, speaking at the launch of the mural to celebrate the the ICANN activists who live in Preston and also Yami Lester. And uh, Dean, I think you, you know Preston High School very well.
2: Yes, I do. Yes, I do. It was, um, it was a great campaign, just like the Save wow. Coburg High School campaign. And my, and the team at, uh, Preston, some of the parents in that area, just, um, you know, um, I guess got in touch with Robin Scott, who was a big supporter of what they were doing in the local area there. And they achieved a fantastic result, you know, which is great to to finally have a high school. Yes, Preston. and
0: we did speak to Anne May last mm. week and talking about that campaign and uh, kind of connecting with what Dave Sweeney's talking about in activism. She said very clearly that leadership <laughs> is what are going to be one of the big a big focus for the new Preston High. So um, yeah. So anyway, congratulations to everyone. And following Dave, Karina um, Lester, Yami's daughter was introduced and she also spoke and Dimity Hawkins so it was a very moving event to be able to attend and every time I pass now and see the mural and see the face of Yami, yeah it's very moving
5: and and
2: having two Nobel Prize winning activists from Preston which is great, yeah so uh, I knew they were presented with the Nobel Peace Prize in December 2017 for their work yeah, yeah there yeah.
0: were I think there were about four people who were involved in getting it, so they mentioned Bill Williams hmm. as well, um, yeah, so um getting that, that is that's remarkable <laughs> go <Preston. laughs>
2: It's not it's not only about the market, there are things happening outside of the market <laughs> in Preston
0: <laughs> yeah for sure now, yesterday was Mother's Day, yeah, and I'm wondering if anyone got up to any celebrations. Oh yeah. Do you
3: notice it <laughs> at all, Dean? What about you?
2: Yeah, we did. I um was told there was no gift needed, but and then when the time came, I found out that there was a gift that was meant to have been purchased—a bit of, uh, <laughs> sort of communication there. But it's not, you know, wasn't for my mother. But the kids got got um, their mother presents, which was great, and we made a breakfast in bed. Oh, and that's nice. But you know, we're trying to sort of ram home that message that. It's not only one day, yes, so, yeah, and, course, and that's where course. it gets a bit. Yeah, it's tricky, now become tricky. like Halloween. It's now become like yeah. you know been, buying yeah. presents a lot. So yeah. hopefully we can uh, achieve that whole um, you know 365 days a year is Mother's Day, not just one day. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah, well, it's not Mother's Day in the UK, so you oh. celebrate. We celebrate it in March. Yeah, like a really weird time. Yeah. yeah, it's to do with the Easter Day, but I think it's a different. It's different right. here, but yeah, so. Mm. Um, so and I even tried Father's to call. Mother's Day is different in some places yeah, too. Father's yeah. Day, yeah. But mm-hmm. I tried to call my mum yesterday just to be like, oh, it's Mother's Day here, happy Mother's Day. And she was busy. So oh, <laughs> well. Wow. I, I oh, got wow. to see lots of other mums um, yesterday celebrating with their kids really? and stuff in the cafe that I work in. Um, yeah that's, and the, that's actually, the other side of it yeah the, the other it, side the, the of people, it. the workers and it's actually yeah. really funny because i recognize it completely when the the, the families that are coming in have just had an argument in the car or something oh, like that no. on their way to the cab and yeah, i just yeah. can tell immediately i'm like you all hate each other right now yeah. <laughs> but like you're just here to celebrate you're here for mum
2: but yeah. for how interesting is just, just not to digress too much but that whole idea of maybe yesterday was probably the only time where the kids weren't on their ipad Yeah. In the cafe. Most times you go to a cafe and you see these two to three-year-olds... Yeah. On the iPad while yeah. the parents are just having their breakfast. Yeah. And you're like, well, why bother going out? Yeah. You know, it's a time to get together yeah. and talk.
3: Mm. I do have I do have some parents look at me and they're like, D- please don't judge us. It's just I can't have another coffee with him screaming and throwing everything on the floor. So please yeah. don't judge me. International roasts, like, buy international roast. Buy international roast. Make it at home.
2: But I'm not <laughs> there to judge. You
3: know what I mean? Like, yeah, if, no. if you want your coffee in peace and this is the way you can find it, yeah. crack on. So, so
0: you're telling everyone... Don't worry. No, don't and worry about, about it. Just, just yeah. there's no judgment. There's no judgment. There's judge. no judgment ah, here. Yeah. You have your coffee. There yeah. is there's a,
3: there's like there's a, there's a, a
2: lot, judgment. lot of judgment. <laughs> a three or four year old shouldn't be playing. No. Oh, okay,
0: all right, I see. Yes, it's <laughs> always so. I'm gonna just try and facilitate the process here. That's just me. <laughs> Look, yeah. I'm
2: not even gonna tell you who to vote for, but you know where I stand.
0: <laughs> but we, we have a lovely piece from Beyond the Bars where people are talking about their mothers. Oh, uh, Ray Ray. Yeah, here we go. Yeah.
3: What did you first think when you first heard that?
7: When I heard about that, um, I was at the MAP, the Melbourne um, Assessment Prison. I was, I was there for three weeks and um, I ran into this lady. Um, I met this lady. I didn't run into her. Um, um, she was doing um, um, the courier art <laughs> and she, she said, um, can I give you some input? About the um, NAIDOC team, it was because of um, because of her we can. Yeah. And um, a lot of the boys um, in the in the prisons, they were doing um, their own statements and um what, how they um, how they come come um how they how they grow up from from the women in their lives. Yeah, yeah. And I was just reading yeah. through the pages and I'm like, this is amazing. And I'm like, I can't mm. believe that I'm looking what I'm looking at is what I was looking at. And I said, no, nah, you have to sit down with me and we have to ask me, you know, my input. And I just I, I had to do it. Um, I started off with, um, with, um, with my mum and yeah. how she's never turned her back on me. Um, they you know, don't, you know, do How they. she showed, always showed me unconditional love. How she always allowed me to make my own choices in life and to accept the consequences and be responsible for my actions. Um, also, to, um, to live the life that I want to choose to leave, um, lead as well you know, and be happy with that. You know? um, she always showed me a strong message that allows me to be me for... For me too and i'm so grateful to you know to be her son my, my nan, she's um she's passed away now and um uh, i never forget her i never forget her smile she um uh, she gave the greatest hugs but she also, she also she also looked after me for three months when i was in time of need and um i can never forget that you know I'm all, and i'm grateful and for her grace and her time and i've learned so much not just from you know how she cooks and all that but how she was and still is as a woman, I really, really look up to her and admire her. You know, um, her, her ability to take care of a big family, mm. and I was, I'm, so, I'm so grateful for being, you know, in the family tree. They give up their time to to allow um, our time to be what it is today, and um, the, the power, the power is in our footsteps. From other footsteps that were laid before us, you know, um, our history sleeps within the ground that we walk upon. And uh, the, the, um, the more that we come to understand that and be one with that, the more we come as you know, a culture and as a people for our community. And, you know, um, respect to all the women in, in, in our lives, not just, not just now, but for the future as well.
0: And uh, that's a wonderful statement from Ray Ray and that's from uh, Beyond the Bars, um, 2018 and uh, produced by uh, 3CR and uh, coming out of prisons and hearing from the voices of prisoners on lots of different topics and that one was about mothers because of her we can.
3: Yeah, that was lovely. So now we're going to head over to the Torch exhibition. So as I said before, um, I was there on Thursday for the opening night, and it got really busy, so which is great to see. I got there, and there wasn 't sort of not many people there and Then it got extremely busy towards the end, which was great um, it 's at the city library and it 's an exhibition presenting the journey of Aboriginal men and women in victoria 's criminal justice system exploring, expressing, and sharing their culture through art. So I first spoke to Susanna Day, the acting CEO. And in this, Susanna talks about the organisation itself and how many exhibitions they've already had this year. Then I spoke to Ash Thomas, an artist and a Yota Yota and man. Wiradjuri man. Wiradjuri, yeah. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I say that wrong every time I say it. Yeah. Um, and he talks about his learnings with the torch as well as his artwork um, that he's created inside and outside. So we're just going to take a listen to that now. In January, we presented Confined, which is our
8: biggest exhibition of the year, where we presented 227 works. Uh, since then, we've had an wow. exhibition at Metro, at Deakin Downtown, and this is our fourth for the year.
3: Incredible. Yabba. And is it the same artwork, or does it change each time? No, it changes every
8: single time, and I think that's the strength of the torch. Uh, we'd like to spread around the opportunity between the men and women who are participating in the program. So this one is a mix of our men and women who are in prison and in community, and uh, it's representing 25 works by 22 artists.
3: Wow. And what does The Torch aim to do? What is it trying to get out of these exhibitions?
8: Oh, look, our primary aim, and perhaps it doesn't exactly uh, come from the exhibition itself, is to reduce recidivism rates amongst um, Indigenous men and women who are incarcerated. Um, One of our secondary aims, absolutely, is to um, economically develop artists, so give them an opportunity to exhibit their work and make some money whilst both incarcerated and on release.
3: And how does that work when the, when the artists are still in prison?
8: What we do is we send professional artists who are our arts officers into um into one of the all 15 Victorian prisons and they work with um, often with career art classes but um, in art rooms and education rooms but also in units, yeah, in yeah. cells, um, <laughs> in recreation yeah, yards. Yeah, it's a
9: big thing and it's just getting stronger and stronger in there too. Yeah. Yeah. A, yeah, it's good. Just having, you know, it's knowing you've got the support when you get out as well because it is hard when you get out here, very hard. And yeah.
3: where did you start your art journey? Um, in jail.
9: Really? Yeah, in jail. I've only been painting for four or five years or something now, so yeah. Wow. And something that's come to me later in my life, pointing mm-hmm. out about my culture and that, so mm-hmm. it's all journey for me now. Yeah. and Yeah. Good yeah. journey.
3: And if we move over to your your art, so yep. we can have a look at this. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Because we've right. got two different animals in the picture, right? Yeah. Cladipus yeah. and a turtle, and they're both sea creatures.
9: Yeah, or water creatures, yeah. Creatures. Fresh water, and yeah, it's just, they live in harmony. Why can't people in the world do it these mm. days? It no. be a much better place, yeah. This represents, like, getting out of just the way people look at you and how everyone in the community these days, why can't people just get along? The difference is, like, two different things can get along so simply yeah. in nature, so why can't people do that as well in the world
3: with these techniques as well did you learn all of that yeah
9: went taught it all myself and been shown a few things along the way it's to, something a skill you find in your home and just keep working and yeah it's the balance between two different sorts of artworks yeah, mm-hmm. realistic and aboriginal art yeah.
3: and did it help you while you were inside
9: yeah it does it comes therapeutic helps you think helps you sort things out in your mind and that and it's kept it's what's kept me for the last two years. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah.
3: Um, how much does the torch support people when they do come out? Oh, a lot, but there's something what you put
9: into as well. They try to be there as much as they can through everything. Even when the exhibitions and art aren't on, it's still an ongoing thing, which is good. Like I had a stroke when I got out of jail, and painting in the torch helped me get through that. Yeah, that time. So, yeah.
3: What would you change or what do you think needs to be changed either within the prison system itself or when people are coming out and they're looking for support?
9: Just more belief in people. Like, so you hear bad things about people all the time, but like, get to know someone and, see and listen to their story. It's, yeah, like we've all got different stories, we are all got different journeys and, yeah, we'll end up in different paths, I suppose, but it's what you make out of it yourself.
3: Mm. And do you find that happens at all? Or is it projects like The Torch that really give people a chance when they come out?
9: Well, it does. It gives you back that self esteem in it to get in and amongst the community and stuff again and without worrying about people looking down on you or judging you <laughs> in a way. If that makes sense, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> these exhibitions and that, and the people that come to them and support us should just be enough to show. Like, mm. Yeah, the support does help. Keep support. Yeah. yeah. It means a lot to a lot of us.
8: Yeah, we find that there is an enormous amount of support in the community, um, far more support than we get any kind of negative comments. Um, Everyone's super supportive, really sympathetic towards um, the incarceration rates that we're seeing amongst Aboriginal people. Obviously, these exhibitions show an enormous amount of talent um, and connection to culture, and I think people often are surprised, and I think it's a really great opportunity to show what um, our men and women can do.
3: And, Ash, do you have any advice for somebody who's out of the system and feeling like they don't have much support around them? Believe
9: in yourself. You're the, only thing, the only person that can make a change in your life is yourself.
3: So, yeah, that was Ash Thomas and Susanna Day.
0: Yeah, very inspiring. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Great to hear them. Yeah, yeah, it
3: was great speaking with Ash, um, somebody who has experienced it all completely from, from sort of straight from prison and learning and finding out about his culture to now being on the outside and it actually helping him on his day to day life. Yeah. Um, so that's one success story, but I then spoke to Sean Miller and Aaron Duggan and they are both two amazing success stories so sean miller was introduced to the torch whilst he was inside the prison system um and he's now a mentor to other artists um, on the inside and outside so he's aaron's mentor and they talk about meeting in prison and um, art and life on the outside and I will say now, listeners, be patient, because the audio, um, it can get, it gets very loud in the exhibition by the time I got round to actually speaking to Sean and Aaron. So be patient, listen closely, and um, yeah, enjoy Aaron Duggan and Sean Miller.
10: I'm Sean Miller. I'm the Indigenous Arts Officer in prison, so I, I go into prison and community and uh, I uh, deliver the program inside the prison. Oh, and,
3: and so did you meet inside the prison yeah, when we you were there? Yeah, we did, uh, yes. So were you his mentor at yeah, the time? Was. I, I was a mentor, yes.
10: you done? I was actually a prisoner when I first met Aaron. So when I, I was in jail, and uh, I, um, I like Aaron, we, we both were in the torch program and um, I... Got fairly successful in my art, so when I got out, I got the opportunity to uh, to work with Torch and, and deliver the program that helped me so much. So so now I'm uh, yeah now helping Aaron and, and many of our participants in community and and still go inside jail and. Uh, help them inside too. Aaron's just been recently uh, released and um, he's uh, got himself a job and he's, he's been doing a little bit of art. We're, we're trying to get him to do a bit more yeah. and, uh, and beautiful artwork he, he does. So, um, yeah, it's, it's uh, great to see he's, uh, he's going well on the outside.
11: And so far it's broken up, so I've been
10: on
3: the right track
11: i going to say
3: that right here. And I heard um, you chatting earlier to somebody who's actually bought one of your paintings and your artwork. Do you yeah. meet a lot of people like that? And how does it feel when you meet somebody who's bought something? That's my
11: like, <laughs> the third, fourth person or something tonight. It's, it's like really? They introduced themselves to me and then was like, I told them my name and they are like, oh, Aaron, don't. Know. I was like, oh, but it sort of, I don't know, it's, it makes me shy in a way. Because I'm still um, still trying to learn um, how to accept all the positive. Because like, I'm used to getting put down and everything growing up and whatever. But it's taken me a leap to start accepting that positive um, inputs and that from people like yeah. And um, yeah, it blows me way back that moment, right? <laughs> You're famous. Yeah. Yeah. you
3: celebrity um, in the oh. And all the
11: people I got the fame for, that. the. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'll out a torch, especially Sean uh, yeah. I Well mainly Kent from the get go. But Sean has been mostly working with me now. Yeah. He got me the job and yeah, me on all the time. Like, uh, you need people like It's that, that push, right? yeah, it's that drive, that push like that's uh, all you need.
3: But, yeah. And um, how important do you think this exhibition is and this project is, the torch, for young for younger people coming in? It's,
11: it's very important because, I, I just, like, when I see some of the brothers coming out, and that, I, just, I tell them, what, what, and they, I don't have to tell them much because they can see how much I've just changed and what I'm doing now. And I tell them, like, they can do this too. You know? I tell them about Sean, like, Sean got out, you look what he's doing. Like, you know, it's never too late. And now I'm going off, I'm going, now I've been, you know, getting out to go to these Aboriginal justice meetings and everything. And pass that it's probably part of my um, hate until I've it. been getting around passing the knowledge on to the younger yeah. folks so I reckon it's very important it is Cause as far as you know a lot of people know our, our culture's been robbed by us you know? so us doing this and getting to learn more and more about it is very important next to we you know we're going to be, be able to talk our lingo again one day you know? it's going to take time but we will be able to speak our language one day. We're already learning now from our stories and everything we create through artworks. And, and um, we we'll see a lot of potential in everything.
12: Right? A child is born to walk the streets at night He learns to lie, he learns to steal and fight He sits alone and cries his tears alive The system watches as his world capsized Well, he grew up fast, life filled with rage All the people who cares away. He's afraid they'll hurt him deep inside. Oh, and only he knew he cried. It's a simple little breath of life. Tore him apart when he stole him from his family. The system just wouldn't allow his spirit to be free. us down we will never give up the fight because we grew up fast this life filled with rage
3: I spoke to Aaron Duggan and Sean Miller, who were two artists at the Yawa exhibition with um, The Torch at Yeranboy Festival. So that exhibition um, started on Thursday. It ends on the 30th of May. It's at the City Library. So head down if you want to check out some really amazing artwork. And that song, as you know, listeners, um, from Beyond the Bars in the 2016 album. And it was called Breath of Life with Trav.
0: Yeah, that was a beautiful song, really. And, and great to hear from the artists. Mm, mm.
2: Yeah. And, and, and I know um, the, the whole idea is, I guess, about keeping Australia's Indigenous people out of jail and, and in the process, for some, unlocking um, Indigenous identity in Australia. You know, yeah. one yeah. of the guys mentioned... Um, just their stories being told and hopefully a future that he sees where some of their languages, like the Bunrung language, mm-hmm. could be spoken. Yes, really. It's so
0: exciting to see the revival of languages. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there's, mm. like, there's over 300, if not 400 different yeah. languages when you look at the languages map yeah. of Australia. And that was Aaron
3: who was speaking and he was yeah, he was saying he really wants to learn the lingo in his own language again and it's going to happen. He's yes. 100% confident. Yeah. So, yeah.
2: When, and New Zealanders do it well. I, I thought with, um, what's today, Monday, with the five days left for you to get your act together, I might give you a quick election update with what's happening. I'm not going to, uh, you know, change your mind, but Barnaby Joyce is likely to be re-elected in uh, New England. Um, so obviously his public fall from grace last year, it seems like the former leader of the National Party is expected to be re-elected again to his seat for another term. Uh, Labor promised to match... The Coalition's First Home Buyer Scheme, where Scott Morrison said yesterday you'd only need a 5% deposit to buy a house. Um, And so that follows on with Morrison obviously pledging that government support for first-home buyers. And there's a poll that reveals that climate change is the key issue for more than half of the voters, which doesn't surprise anybody in this room. Mm, Um, You know, More than two-thirds of voters regarded action on climate change as an investment in the future rather than a cost to the economy. And we'll have Fergus Kincaid on next week.
0: Yes, we will, from ACF. Kincaid, uh, we'll, we'll, That's okay. When we'll be uh, talking about what's happened over the weekend in the election. Now, our next guest is Annie Belifo. Annie's been an activist for many, many years. And for just as an example, in the 90s, she worked with um, Joanna Macy. I don't know if you've heard of her, but she's an anti, a U.S. anti-nuclear campaigner. And they set up a cafe on the lawns of the French Embassy in Canberra to protest against nuclear testing in the Pacific. So we're kind of drawing in the, the nuclear testing issue again here. So, so they set up I'm just imagining it, You know, just a red check table, cloths, French pastries and invited people to sit down and talk about what was going on. That's the whole cafe idea to bring people together, together. in a kind mm. of space where they can have a difficult conversations. So I found that really interesting but these days Annie is an end of life companion and I hadn't heard the term before but but maybe others have and the cafes she organizes bring people together to talk about death.
5: I began by asking her why. Death is just such a taboo subject in our culture that What's happened is there's this massive kind of upwelling in response to that closing down, so that, you know, obviously you've got Death Cafe, you've got Death Over Dinner, you've got Cafe Philosophique de la Mort. These are all ways in which people are just saying, no, we want to have the conversation. And doing it with, you know, some flair and flamboyance often.
0: I'm wondering how you became involved in rituals about death and dying. You, You described yourself as a companion. How did this begin?
5: I was very interested in rituals around death after my mother died. And I had the experience of seeing her coffin go on an automated kind of conveyor belt into who knows where and it was incredibly unsatisfactory and it led me into a search for other ways. I had some good experiences being mentored by various um people.
0: So it was the death of your mother and how long ago was that
5: Annie? So my mother died in my early 20s and alongside that I was involved in a very big car accident. A friend of mine was killed in a car accident. My father died as well. So really none of those situations were marked by proper rituals and I think in some ways it's impossible for death to land in a safe place. I think really having a ritual that... Maybe as simple as anything but it's well executed everyone is deeply involved that's what helps people to understand that this very mysterious thing has happened someone who one loved deeply possibly you know had all sorts of conflicts with was there and suddenly they're gone you know it's a very big human mystery so you 've described yourself as an end of life companion. How long have you been doing that now? Probably for over ten years started with two friends of mine having very difficult experiences of sudden death with close people and just being there with them through that time. That feeling that there are people who are there for you is enormously important. I became interested in those more hands-on rituals like washing bodies and laying out. I had a very good experience of training in the US and being part of the activities of the National Home Funeral Alliance there, which enabled me to really do stuff because it's the last... Loving thing you can do for another person and it's not something that's difficult. It's not something that's you know People do tend to think oh bodies. It's not like that at all It's something very beautiful and probably a ritual I would recommend to everyone
0: I saw a doctor this morning and told her I was going to do this interview this afternoon. And she described uh, just that. And when her mother died, the um, palliative care worker asked her and her sister, Do you want to wash the body? She said it was so important. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, Annie Belife who we're speaking to and uh, just um, me ending up that first part of the interview. And I should point out two things, that that as well as the doctor saying it was very important, she said if someone had suggested it to her a couple of months before, she wouldn't have thought it was a good eye, or she would have just said, well, why would you do that? Uh, Because it just happened in the moment uh, that she was invited to wash the body, she and her sister, and they did it, and she was amazed. Really? uh, Yeah, at at what uh, an impact. It just it seemed the absolute right thing to do and just picking up uh, on Annie's uh, suggestion that it, the last loving thing one can do. Yeah. I, just, I just found it... Uh,
2: and I think we'd mentioned too, while we, we had memo leaves, Sam. That's right, we did. You know, and, and people are afraid to look at it, speak of it, as if by doing so we'll bring, somehow bring forth... Our demise in a
0: yes, sense, you yeah, know? Yes. Yeah. So um, I also feel a need to point out I was at the doctor's for a routine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a routine no, no, that's, <laughs> thank you Judith. Everyone <laughs> oh, uh, was anxious. <laughs> but, but was so I want to go on now and um, because Annie's been, as she pointed out, an end of life companion around 10 years. I'd asked her if she'd, she'd noticed any patterns or similarities in the way people approach death.
5: Loss is something we can't explain at the time. It's not something that you can rationalise. That's something that's common to everyone. But I suppose at some level I'd like to emphasise how different everyone's circumstances are. We live in very particular ways these days. We don't follow the kind of patterns that might have been more the norm Even 20 or 30 years ago I think that means that when people die Their circumstances are unique And the way in which they want to remember Honour and ritualise the death of someone Tend to be very particular to who that person's been And who they are as a family or community And what do you mean by ritual? By ritual I mean something that happens At a time, in a place, with a few people. It could simply be lighting a candle, but you know when that candle is going to be lit, where it's placed exactly, and who's going to do it. Say it's children who are going to light the candle. That can be very, very meaningful. It's not a complicated ritual, but it's something that happening with some degree of precision really can start something off.
0: So why did you decide to write a book about your experiences?
5: I've had such wonderful experiences with many people and they've generously agreed for me to have their stories as part of the book. The title of the book is Death, A Love Project. That reflects my experience of people going consciously into the experience of death and of funerals and memorials. Obviously, it's very sad and often very difficult. Family relationships are very delicate at that time. But if people are a little prepared, even if one person is a little prepared, it can be quite helpful. Perhaps the most important thing that I've tried to put across in this book is that There's a pause that death invites. We hurtle along through our lives. We're so busy. When someone dies, we just have to pause. The more willingly we can make that pause and inhabit it and make the most of the time that we have with others, I think the more healing the experience can be. Do you see the book as part of your activism? What a great question. I do. People... Can act in healthful and empowered ways, I suppose And when we look at death as something that's outsourced to funeral directors and other parties We lose that opportunity to work together One of the passages in this book actually comes from Joanna Macy A very well-known activist in the anti-nuclear space She did a vigil for her husband when he died and she's allowed me to include that in my book. It's a passage that everyone who's read has just understood how empowering it is for people to work together in that spirited way at the end of life.
0: And that was Annie Belitho and um, talking about a topic that is ever-present um, but not always easy to discuss. And if you're interested in Annie's book, Death, a Love Project, um, she's currently raising funds to have it published through POSSIBLE. Yeah, a lot of people probably know about POSSIBLE, it's P-O-Z-I-B-L-E. So it's, it's one of the many um, fundraising platforms and all you have to do is Google um, Annie's name, Annie Bolitho, Annie Bolitho, or Death a Love Project, and um, possible, and you'll it'll come up. You're on 3CR, 855 AM. The show is Monday Breakfast, and uh, here's Leah Flanagan with each day of the week. Leah Flanagan, with Each Day of the Week, and that's from her album, Nirvana Nights. And uh, just a great album. Love it. Fantastic. Now, as the uh, Dean's pointed out just a, a little while ago, we have a, an election looming, and uh, very much in our heads, and, and we're seeing more and more concern about the environment. I mean, last week, that UN report on the extinction, extinction of species came out. Mm. I mean, that's a, a huge concern. And another issue that's been getting attention, and for some time now, is the proposal of the uh, Norwegian company Equinor to explore for oil and drill in the Great Australian Bight. And we have covered that, too, in here on 3CR Breakfast. So, But before Equinor can proceed, it has to have its environmental plan approved by NOPSEMA. And this is the term that I want everyone just to be able to roll off their tongue. Nopsema, of course we know what it is. The National (laughs) Offshore Petroleum Safety and Environmental Management Authority. Nopsema will do, though. And uh, Equinor submitted its environmental plan for public consultation and the submissions closed in February. And we did speak about Mm -hmm. that. Um, so I was wondering kind, of, I hadn't heard a lot for a while. I, I just thought I want to catch up. So I called Peter Owen. And when he answered, who's the director of, South Australia director of the Wilderness Society. And when he answered, that voice was, you know, a little bit far away. Peter, where are you? Oslo. And I thought, oh my God, it's a little night. Oh no, it's 5.30 in the morning. I'm, I'm up. I got to get up. So <laughs> anyway, we didn't do the interview then, but we organized to, uh, we organized to speak. So um, I asked him, you know, what's happening around the approval from Nopsema and then we went on to talk about what he's doing in Norway. So here's Peter Owen.
4: Well, Nopsema would have received all of the feedback that the company Equinor received because that information went went into both of those organisations. Nopsema haven't had that feedback for very long. That's an interesting point because over 30,000,
0: Was the first plan like a draft and now they've submitted a revised plan?
4: Yes, they, they didn't appear to change a great deal. So that what they've submitted, they claim, you know, was after their public comment period and they said that there was 13 or so of those 30,000 plus submissions that actually led to, I think, refinement to their application. But as to what that will look like as NOPSEMA assess that is, is anyone's guess at this point.
0: But we're still waiting at this stage. There's no guarantee that they'll be going ahead
4: can't see how NOFSEMA can approve what's been submitted at this stage.
0: As you'd well be aware, this federal election has been dubbed the climate election, and there's certainly been coverage of the Great Australian Bight and proposals to drill, and also criticism of that proposed drilling and newspaper articles from Port Ferry to the New York Times. I'm wondering, have you had any commitment from either of the major parties on banning drilling and exploration for oil in the Bight?
4: Not at this stage, no. We've certainly got those commitments from the Greens and other uh, minor parties in Independence. The Labour Party only a few days ago suggested that they would commission some oil spill modelling. Now that's a positive step, but obviously there's a lot of oil spill modelling already in the public domain.
0: Sounds like just more delay. As you say, you know, modelling's already been done by a number of people, including uh, Equinor itself.
4: What we need is a strong commitment from both the Labour and the Liberal Party that they are listening to the communities across southern Australia and they're willing to step up and protect Great Australian Bight, where they're proposing to drill is right in the middle of the Great Australian Bite Marine Park, yes. set aside 20 years ago to protect, you know, one of the most important breeding grounds for the southern right whale in the world so it's a, it's a totally inappropriate location but it's also a totally inappropriate time in history to be pushing to expand the fossil fuel industry, which is essentially what this proposal represents. You know, we don't have that option if we're going to have any chance of a livable climate into the future. We need to be transitioning out of the fossil fuel industry rapidly, not pushing to expand it that's the height of irresponsibility.
0: Tina Solomon-Hunter from Aberdeen University Centre for Energy Law suggested that Australia's regulations on preventing and responding to an oil spill were not as strong as Norway's and such drilling would not be permitted under Norwegian law. And that's
4: been a critique that's been around for some time. There, There is concern about level of regulations in Australia. and
0: and people wouldn't support as well. Peter Owen who's the um director of the South Australian Wilderness Society and uh, they really are pulling out all stops to try and prevent the drilling from going ahead in the Great Australian Bight uh, to you know as he's uh, as he's explained they've been meeting uh with politicians and in their delegation are people from Greenpeace and other environmental groups and also including Banalori who's a Murnie elder and uh from you know the area around Seduna and West And uh, he's also the lead singer of Colored Stone, the band Colored Stone. And so he's also there at advocating. And they're meeting the Sami people as well in Norway, so the indigenous peoples of Norway. They're really drawing together lots of people who are concerned, European environmental groups. Very interesting to hear about the work they're doing. And I also was excited to hear about paddle outs because when I looked at the uh, news coverage here, there's been news coverage of paddle outs in Australia, a lot of them mm. around mm. the country. Kaama, Torquay. Yeah. There's um, been a few Port Ferry. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, sh- what do they actually do? They, well, the, well, yeah, they, you it's know. It's a demonstration,
2: I guess, where a group of people gather together in the water on surfboards, kayaks, or anything that floats um, to show their support for a particular
0: course. Yeah, and a lot of surfers mm-hmm. involved as well. And
2: Ooh. the one in Oslo happened yesterday, on Yay. May the 12th. So, uh, I, I, I just found some. There's a dot Au was talking about Puna Lorry, Ingrid Stogfar, Peter Owen, and Heath Yoski. the Patagonia ambassador being there. Yes, Um, it sounds like it was a big event. Well, it started at twelve, you know, with the paddle out at twelve thirty, and then there was also a film screening and a panel discussion about what Equinor is doing in Australia. Essentially, yeah. Well,
0: that's great. Well, we're going to hear some music now from uh, from Bunnalori, and a song inspired by the bite. It's called Dancing in the Moonlight. and Coloured Stone with Dancing in the Moonlight. What a great song. Now, again, we're, we're kind of thinking election again, and the proposed Adani mine is another big issue, as well as mm. um, drilling the Great Australian Bite. The former uh, federal Greens leader, Bob Brown, as I think most of us know, has led a, a Stop Adani convoy up to Queensland and then back to Canberra to protest uh, the mine and the proposed mine. I keep saying proposed. I want to keep yeah. thinking of it like that. Yes. yes. Uh, so the Stop Adani Convoy convoy uh, finale was held at Parliament House in Canberra uh, just a week ago, a little over a week ago, on Sunday, uh, Sunday May 5th. And Adrian Buragaba, an artist and performer, from the Babambura clan of the Wangan and Jagalingu people of central Queensland addressed the gathering and they've been very active in the fight against the Adani mine proposal for the Galilee Basin. So, 3CR's Rebecca from Earth Matters was there and uh, she recorded this speech for us.
13: My name is Adrian Buragaba. I'm the leader and spokesperson of the Wangan Jagalingu Family Council. We are a sovereign tribal people and we declare sovereignty over our lands. There's been no treaty, there's no war and there's no session on our land. So we claim our land through our sovereign rights. And just as uh, I stand here today on Nolawal country, I respect uh, their ancestors on whose land I stand and the law that dates back to time immemorial. Because when we talk about law, we talk about first in time, first in law. This was the first law that was here. And the law is in the land. It's not a law of man. So whatever they write for us doesn't apply to us. Only the law of the land is the thing that determines who we are as a people. It is our past, it is our present, it is our future. This is our dreaming. And this is why we stand so strong against the Adani project because It's a part of our dreaming which is being affected. And um, I want to uh, pay respect to um, the Bob Brown Foundation and, and Bob himself for um, allowing, allowing me to have a platform to bring uh, the truth to people because there are so much lies and deception out there and uh, we don't agree with uh, this fraudulent misrepresentation of what the First Nations people are being represented by this, um, this fake government because uh, they're running, they're running a, um, um, a protection racket around uh, Adani. And this, this guy, Matt Canavan, this so-called, um, you know, a, a Speaker for Aboriginal Rights, the Resource Minister, Mr. Canavan, and uh, this coalition government have done everything within their power to take away our rights. On two occasions in 2012, all of the Wanga Jagalingu people said Adani packing. We kicked them out and they didn't have an ill then. And then again in 2014, we kicked them out and we said, you're not going to have our land and there's no agreement. No means no. No contract, no consent. We haven't consented to that mine and it's not going to happen. No contract, no consent. No means no Adani. And that's why we say no to Adani. There's never any agreement with um, fraudsters, you know, and environmental terrorists. He's an environmental terrorist. He knows nothing about mining, coal mining in his own country. There's one coal mine in his own country. And when he, when he set that mine up, he destroyed the whole place and all indigenous people there and the whole country. I mean, the man's a polluter. We don't want him to come to this country here and bugger up the whole system because he doesn't care less. His company, he owns a shelf company and he can write off all the tax and everything. He'll go in there and he'll, he'll knock the guts out of that country there. He'll have a great big hole in the ground, fracture the environment, destroy the aquifers, destroy everything that's in the land. you you got the science, you know this. But the thing is this, we're saying this is not going to happen, not on our watch. And we won't, we won't stand for an illegitimate government misrepresenting the First Nations people. This coalition government go back to when um, John Howard was in power and they put in the Native Title 10-point plan. The 10-point scam Aboriginal people know it is, it's a 10-point scam. And, and they did at that time then, what they did, they changed the Native Title legislation. They, they changed the Racial Discrimination Act to suit the Native Title. That's what they did. When we talk about native title, we talk about First Nations people, law and custom and culture that's in the land. Not, not to go and, and um, be subjected to a, a racist piece of legislation like the Native Title Act. Now, this government here, um, in the first instance, when um, George Brandis was here, um, what they did, mm-hmm. they, they, um, they amended the native title um, legislation to overrule rule the McGlade decision in uh, Western Australia. And that McLeod decision said that um, majority doesn't rule, but you have to have a consensus for all Indigenous land use agreements. So the federal government here, what they did, they amended the native title legislation so that Adani could get his Ilua. Because there's five of our families with 120 to 200 of our people opposing it. The government, the federal government, stepped into our court case. This is how serious this is, folks. This goes deeper than what a lot of people think. And so this, this coalition government has gone right out of their way to silence our voice. And they've allowed Adani to do that. This foreign mining company to come into this country. And you talk about, like, you know, how, um, how is Adani involved here? This, this is the Adani election. This was, that, was the, that was the Adani NATO Title Amendments. This is how much this guy is affecting this country. And people like Matt Canavan are running around talking about Aboriginal rights. What would he know about Aboriginal rights? He wouldn't know if it fell on him. There's National Party up there in central Queensland, you know, with Michelle Landry and uh, George Christensen. Just have a look at them. These are the people running around on my country and my ancestors and saying what's right for Aboriginal people. that government does not speak for us and they don't represent us we, we stand a submission and i'll read you a little bit here this is um in on the 31st of july 2018 it's just a brief s- summary uh, introduction i mean i don't usually do this i don't usually read in public but you know what i mean um, <laughs> we the wangan jagalingu we are the woody speaking people We write on behalf of the Wankajagalingu Traditional Owners Family Council, the representative and decision-making body of our people to respectfully request that the Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination use its early warning and urgent action procedures to help stop the irreparable and devastating harm to our people and our culture by the imminent destruction of our ancestral homelands, waters and sacred sites and with them our culture by the development of the massive Carmichael coal mine and the rail project, the Carmichael coal mine in the state of Queensland, Australia, and to the imminent extinguishment under the law of our rights and in interests in part of our ancestral homelands. This is what Matt Canavan tried to go around in this country. He stood up there in the Parliament House there with with those other people who, like, I want to sign their land away and they want to destroy their country. Part of the 294 people they keep speaking about and they wanted to go in public and they wanted to tell the world that it's okay that, like, um, the United Nations doesn't have to step into this country and tell them what to do about how they treat Aboriginal people. And when Melissa Price, just before the calling of the election... What a disgraceful, what a disgraceful act that is. What a disgraceful act. Melissa Price, what kind of environment minister is that? That's, that's not someone that cares about the environment. Get rid of her, get rid of them out of there. They know nothing about the land. They know nothing about the environment. And when she granted that water license to Adani, that was it. That was a declaration of war upon the Wanganjaggalingu people and our sovereign rights and our ancestor, our ancestor spirit, which is the Mandinjara, the Rainbow Serpent that that feeds the Carmichael River, that feeds into the Ballyando, out to the Burdekin and out to the Great Barrier Reef. We're connected from the salt from the freshwater to the saltwater people, and we're connected through our totem here. This is our moiety. That's the Eel, that's the wakil borough, the wakil which is from that area there, which is in the Carmichael. This is what we want to protect. It's our law. First in time, first in law. And if they try to usurp the sovereignty of the tribes, this country will be classed as uncivilised. We don't want uncivilised governments. We want responsible government to stand up and protect our rights. Okay, I've got to make this short, okay, folks. But um, seeing this is like a leading up to an election. I have to talk a bit of politics, okay? Usually, I just talk about culture and stuff, but it all it all ties in. I just want to make mention that um, I drove down here last night and I got here. I've had two hours sleep, and I just uh, I almost didn't come, and I just thought, oh, okay. But on my way through, I came through Nimbin and said hello oh, to them there, and they're having a good time there in Nimbin. But you know. Um, I've, I've made it here, and thank you for allowing me to come and share with you and to share our story, because it's not over. We're going to the full bench of the federal court. We're going to knock that hill you out, and then we're going to win. And Adani can't have our land. And thank you for your support. Thank you for helping me get down here and get back. Thank you very much, boys.
1: Stay strong.
13: And stop this Adani mine. Thank you very much. All power to the people.
0: And that, w- that was a very spirited Adrian Burragaba, n- not being political at that all. That's brilliant. Not in the late <laughs> end and what kind of environment min- minister is that? Yeah, mm. yeah. Get rid so, of a, yeah. get rid of
3: all. <laughs> yeah.
2: uh, and the Associated Press just, rep- Price. Associated uh, Press just reported that uh, their coal mine project is facing another hurdle with their the government. Adani, sorry, mm. The Adani, sorry, Yeah, the Adani yeah. project with the government seeking a further review of uh, their Adani's groundwater plans. So the, the Chief Executive, Lucas Dow Adani, said that the new request came from the Department of Environment and Science last Friday. And what they're doing is, this is another fishing expedition, he said in a statement, by the uh, government, um, the Queensland government. But essentially what this means is that it's going to be
0: probably 10 more years before they can do anything. Is that what that report mm. is saying mm. well we'll we'll need to to look into that more and yeah. w- you know when we spoke to Kristen Ryan last week, she was talking about the the land use agreement too and and the, the questions over that and how mm. it was done, and also she said, you know there's more than one law in this country, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, just of such an interesting article in the conversation yeah. about traditional yeah. owners so yeah so so thanks so much to Rebecca from Earth Matters for getting out and getting that audio yeah, thank you, Rebecca, yeah. And, um, yeah, it's been a, a packed show this morning. jam <laughs> yeah. It has been. It has been. Yeah. I mean, we, we started um, with Dave Sweeney talking about ICANN, the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, and, and he's hoping that some of the student activism will uh, continue across to the um, nuclear threat as well as the environmental threat. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. yeah, that was good. Then yeah. we spoke to Susanna
3: Day, Ash Thomas... Sean Miller and Aaron Duggan, some artists and acting CEO of Yawa, the exhibition, um, and the torch with Urenboy Boy Festival. And that's um yeah, finishes on the thirtieth of May at the City Library. So head down if you want to look at some amazing Aboriginal art from men and women in prisons.
0: Yeah, and, it's, and the City Library is a great space. I mean, a lot of people don't know about it, so it's a good chance. I mean, the State Library, of course, is so big and impressive, mm. but the City Library also does a really interesting work. Yeah. Yeah, so a good chance to visit there. And um, then we also spoke to Peter Owen from the South Australia Director of the Wilderness Society, and they're really they're really taking the fight for <laughs> to prevent drilling the bite up to to Norway, Norway against, against Equinor and uh, yeah against Equinor, the Norwegian company. So doing great work up there. Lots of advocacy this morning. Yeah, <laughs> there was Nopsema. Yeah, Nopsema. Yeah, oh, oh, I'm yeah, yeah. really <laughs> pleased. Oh my god. So, so what hilarious. does it stand for, Nopsema? Say oh, it again. Dear. Oh, national. I'll try and remember now. Um uh, national. I'm trying to remember Oil. so I can, it can roll off my tongue. Oh, my God. I'll have to look for it. Okay. I think it's uh, oh, re, uh, um, National Oil and Petroleum
2: Safety and Environment Management Authority.
0: Thank you, Dean. <laughs> oh, what a tea. It throws off the tongue, that one. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. does. So well, it sounds better as <laughs> Nopsema. I, I, me- I remember yeah, the first time I SEMA. heard it. I, it sounded kind of nasty. You mm. know, I thought, oh my God, what is sounds that? Sounds contagious. <laughs> contagious, yeah. But it is, um, it is at this, because I don't know if you remember, we had an interview with, um, from Senator Tim Storer a while mm. a couple of weeks, just a couple of weeks ago about at the moment there's no ministerial re- uh, approval required after right. Nopsema yeah. approves. So Nopsema, we need to know what it is when it needs to roll off the tongue. Yes, definitely. And
2: and they changed their name because I think um, they mentioned it was National Offshore Petroleum Safety Authority, but they added that and Environment Management.
0: And do you know when they added that? After the Montaro oil spill. Because it was seen that it wasn't strong enough to prevent that. Mm. And I think the people that approved Montaro didn't do the homework. That's my sense. Yeah. Yeah. And we also spoke about death. With Annie Belitho and the the book that she's written. So uh, a topic that also, yeah, we need to, to think about a bit more. <laughs>
2: and we will be back again next week. Thank you for joining. Thank you. Monday Breakfast,
0: as always. Have a nice week. Thanks, you Alice. Know. Thanks, Judith. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for listening to a Monday Breakfast podcast on 3CR.